Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Um, this series in this month of July here has been um, kind of targeted at reminding us of who we are as a church family, uh, who God has called us um, to be, and so uh, symbolized by this little graphic here with our little uh, symbols here. Well, we've said this before, say it again. Uh, just as God has equipped each individual believer, so also he has equipped, um, it seems, churches to do things that uh, specific churches uh, can do. And so um, what we're saying is we're not asking everybody, um, every church to be like us. So we're not trying to be like every other church. So we just think this is who God has called us to be and the good folks who are down the street and the good folks who are down on 518 and all these other folks that we do stuff with all throughout um, the ministry year. Man, we're excited for them to do God-sized and God-directed things. And for us, we're going to do the things that he's given us to do. So um, we, we um, have framed this around um, the, the statement that we'll read here in just a minute. But uh, just before we even get there, there's these five strands of DNA that pop up on the screen here um, that we have... Um, things that make us who we are. We, we believe in gospel transformation that uh, indeed, because he lives, we can face tomorrow and all the other things uh, that come with that, whatever tomorrow holds. That because Jesus has died and because he has risen, you and I have the opportunity to live with him. And because he lives in us, uh, that greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And we can face uncertain days indeed uh, because he lives. That's what we sang just a moment ago. Uh, secondly, we would be saturated with the scriptures. We soak up uh, what God has spoken to us, and because we do, um, we are um, uh, shaped by it, formed by it, colored by it, stained by it, if you will. And um, when uh, the world squeezes us, this is what comes out of us. Thirdly, church is a family. Uh, there are times when we don't always get along with one another, just like you and your family. Oh, couple of uncomfortable coughs there I heard. <coughs> Got something in my throat. There's coffee right over here if you need it later. Uh, uh, but church is family. And so we're in this together. And so we hosted VBS last week. We are sending students off to camp this coming week and on and on. Uh, fourthly, neighbor is a verb. It's not just the people that you live next to. Uh, that neighbor is the, uh, it's the action of making someone a neighbor. And then lastly, ready uh, to launch. And this is the one that if anybody has kind of the question mark hanging over, that's probably the one that it is. And, and essentially what it is, is that we want to position you kind of with fuel and mechanics and everything that you're, you're ready so that when God presses the button on your life, you go to where he wants you to go, whether that's into Monday. Um, and some of your Mondays are going to be big Mondays or whether that's into some other arena. So uh, we've, um, those are the DNA strands that make us who we are. This is the statement that we've been locked in on, that we are a family of missionaries, family. We have a place to belong. Missionaries, this is a place of purpose. And we live to do these three things. We pursue God, love well, and serve the world. And last week, uh, we talked about pursuing God, how when God steps into our lives, and I've already caught Godzilla grief already, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's fine. Just don't worry about it. God steps into our lives. I mean, it changes the orientation of our pursuit. It changes the point of that. So we pursue God. And today we'll talk about loving well and then next week um, serving, serving the world. So uh, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 9. How do, how do we as a people, we family of missionaries, how do we live to pursue God and to love well? That's the focus today. Here we go. Uh, let love be genuine, it says. 
if you are uh, uh, maybe a different, let love be without hypocrisy. That's, that's a good translation also. Let it be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast, or somebody cling to what is good. Love one another uh, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable inside of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So uh, three things this morning out of the text here um, about genuine love. How do we love well? We love without hypocrisy. What does that look like? Uh, First thing here is that uh, we remember that love has a standard. Genuine love has a standard. I find it interesting that Paul starts here before he gets into all of these other kind of commands or or, uh, um, uh, imperatives, if you will, about relational truth. He starts with, don't forget that there's a standard. Abhor, he says, what is evil and cling to what is good. So abhor, probably not a word you use this week, but I mean, you, you have a sense that this is something that you're supposed to um, dislike, hate. It even um, you, you don't have uh, kind of warm, fuzzy feelings toward it. In fact, quite the opposite. This is something that you're cold to. This is something that is like, man, this is not right. It may, it may fire you up on the inside simply because you know that it's wrong. Abhor um, what is evil. Evil. Um, evil, if I could come up with a definition based on some of the reading uh, that I did this week and study, it goes something like this. Evil is, is choosing somebody else's suffering for my own benefit or uh, pleasure. And you think about all the things that are in the world and how that has worked its way out, but choosing suffering for my own pleasure or comfort, um, it, this certainly includes, for us as believers of Jesus, this certainly includes um, rejoicing over the fall of others. Now, there are people who make all sorts of money right now in our world and in our culture rejoicing over the fall of others. And if you're honest with yourself, my guess is, is that there are moments when uh, somebody who you're not a fan of uh, goes down. I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm glad that team lost or this way. I'm not like somebody that you're personally in relationship with that you're not a fan of when they go down a little bit, when something bad comes their way and you're like, <laughs> and if that's not you, look down the road and see if somebody else is laughing. Okay. Like see if they, cause my, my guess is, is that that, that is, that's in us at times. And so part of what we need to hate, part of what we need to abhor, part of what we need to kind of have a, a coldness toward is, is that right there, is rejoicing in somebody else's uh, fault. Um, it, just a little pastoral time out just to say, feeling of relief is different than a feeling of joy. So there could be moments when somebody goes down, you're like, I think the world's going to be a better place because of that. But if that's relief, it's not joy. Um, another place uh, that I think um, we, we see this would be uh, certainly, certainly this would include uh, tolerating in another what is destructive in the end for them. Tolerating in somebody else what is ultimately and finally destructive in their lives. We need to love people enough to say, God, that's, that's going to end poorly for you. And if I choose not to do that, then I'm choosing their suffering for my own comfort or for my um, own pleasure. What is evil? 
just so we're clear, it is defined by God. It is not defined by us. In, the, in our morality, in our ethics, in our economic systems, in anything that you could name, all of that has a definition. And it's defined, I mean, it is defined by God, all of it, all of it. For we're clarity, though, just so we're all on the same page here, for clarity. Before we run out with our magnifying glasses or microscopes looking for evil in the world, we're going to check it out. Let's see y'all over there. Oh, there's some people over there. Before we go out doing that, you know the first place we need to abhor evil? It's right here. Jesus talked about it um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we, we looked at this not too long ago. Like, you, you're worried about somebody else's speck. Yeah, get the microscope and look at the speck in their eye. But don't forget, you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your head. So maybe you want to deal with that first. If we're, if we're going to be people who abhor evil and, and cling to what's good and understand that genuine love has a standard, I'm for all of that. But where does it need to start? It needs to start right here. Now, it will work its way out into the world because there is genuine evil in the world that needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed by people who love Jesus and are thinking people. But where do we start? We start right here. Always right here. We also hold fast to what's good. Some of you have, uh, in your translations, may have cling, cling to what's good. It's a, it's a word that um, at other points in the scriptures is used for um, the two becoming one in a marriage relationship. So you want to kind of get that picture in your head. Hold fast to what is good. Cling to what is good. There's no deviation. There's no softening of words. Uh, there, there's no like, uh, uh, you know, we kind of hedge a little bit right here. Hold fast to what is good. That's what he says. Genuine love has a standard, and we are real clear that there is an evil that God defines, and there's a good that God defines, and we want to hold fast to that. We're not going to... Um, well, let me say, this is uniquely hard, I think, um, because of some of the cultural pressures that we feel um, right now, and social media amplifies those pressures. But two things are in play. Number one, there is a redefinition of good. People redefine terms on the regular, um, typically for whatever suits um, their purpose. Um, but God has said what is good. He has given us his word, and it is good. Um, the, the things that he said to do are good. He, he is clear on what good is, and we need to hold fast to that. We need, uh, people want to redefine, again, morality, ethics, truth, heritage, love, any number of other things. But listen, God is the one who holds that standard. We hold fast um, to what is good. But secondly, the other um, kind of argument that people advance um, toward uh, followers of Jesus in, in this cultural moment goes something like this. Hey, um, so you, we're not going to argue about the redefinition here, but I, I think you want to be on the right side of history. And they say that, and, and the card that they're playing in that moment is that um, they, they want to make it feel inevitable. And so we, we bow to the pressure of inevitability. But the truth is, is that the only thing that is inevitable is that Jesus is going to return and everything's going to be made right. I mean, like, that's what's inevitable. And so we want to be people who have that kind of hope in our minds and that kind of clarity um, in our minds so that when people play that card, um, not with uh, any sort of uh, uh, ugliness towards them, but we're just saying, man, there are some things that are inevitable. I believe that in those things. That's true. Uh, but, but this is not necessarily uh, one of them. So hold fast to what is good. Um, 
And the last thing I'll say in this before we press ahead here is that you really need to run on both rails. I mean, you, you, he gives us two things here on purpose. You need to run on both rails because people who only run on the abhor what is evil thing, they turn out mean and nobody likes them. And they do more damage to the witness of the good news of Jesus because they're so worried about the bad news that's in the world. Folks, Jesus got up from the dead. It's going to be all right. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You need to run on both of those. If you only run on the hold fast to what is good thing, I mean, presenting a positive vision of life, I think that's awesome, amazing, that kind of thing. But there is real evil in the world that on occasion has to get addressed. If you don't believe that, try raising a kid. Every so often, they need a little correction, help on that uh, thing. You just want to... You can't just positively reinforce everything, is what I'm saying. So um, here's the last little thing here, thinking about running on both rails. I didn't have a better term than this. It's a little funny, but don't be mean, but don't be squishy. Does that, like, like you, you want to you wanna hold on to both of those things. You want to hold on to both of them. Don't be mean, but don't be squishy, okay? You, you don't want to, okay. That, Genuine love has a standard. Love that's without hypocrisy has a standard. Um, but it's not as if we sit around um, and uh, in front of our laptops or whatever our favorite uh, uh, tool uh, that we view and interact with social media on and just sit around and go, oh, yeah, well, this is, this is not, we're not just holding to a standard. Genuine love is also expressive. It has an expression. It actually lives in the real world. We'll talk even more about that in just a second, but let, let's pick up in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now that is a, that is a thing, right? I mean, that's something that we like go do. It has an expression. Love one another with brotherly affection. And so um, what does this expressive nature of genuine love look like? Let's start out at the end of verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, I, I, this is challenging relationally. Think about the people in your life. How would your marriage be different if you lived with the mindset, outdo one another in showing honor? Think about um, those people that you're raising or the people who are raising you and how you're relating to them in this moment. Or, frankly, the people who raised you and how you're relating to them in this moment. What would change about that relationship? What, what would the, the tenor of the conversation be? What would the aroma in the air be of that relationship if you thought to yourself, I'm going to outdo them in showing honor, esteem? And notice, if you will, this is, this is active, right? This is expressive. This is not, um, don't dishonor them, although that's part of it. But this is active. This is something that I'm supposed to go do. So honor or esteem is an active thing that we're supposed to... Love has an expression, and it's not just don't act unloving. There are things to go do. Important things. Outdo one another um, in showing honor. So here's what he says in uh, um, verse 11. So what would this look like? Well, don't, don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy. In your relationships, the ones... Um, that are expressive, that where you are showing genuine love in those relationships, um, where you intend to love well, don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Be fervent in spirit. So not just don't be lazy, but be fervent instead. Have some energy towards this and serve, uh, serve the Lord. Why would he include that? Because on occasion in relationships, the person that you're actually 
serving like who's physically right there in front of you is a little bit more difficult to serve, yeah? But the truth is, is that this, this expression of loving well, really, it, it's not that it has nothing to do with that person, but it has way more to do with how you're relating to Jesus. Serve the Lord. By, by serving your spouse, you're serving the Lord. By serving your kids or your parents, you're serving the Lord. By serving the person who sits next to you at the altar, you're serving the Lord. That's what it's talking about here. Love has an expression. It starts there with honor or esteem. And he, he keeps going. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. That's what he says. So one of the ways that our love expresses itself is by rejoicing in hope. In our relationships, there may be moments when you are having a hard time or um, um, working through or seeing, just you can't quite identify that blip on the radar of how God is at work. But here's a question. In those relationships, is God at work? Yes, he is. Do you believe it is the question. Do you believe it? Do, do then you want what God wants for that relationship, for that person, for that situation? Yes, you do. So, so you want to aim towards that. So rejoicing in hope. This is difficult when uh, the darkness is kind of covering. It's a pretty cloudy day, relationally speaking. And you're kind of wondering, I'm not sure how this is going to shake out. Particularly difficult in those moments. And Paul says, hey, don't forget to rejoice in hope. Because just because it's cloudy doesn't mean that God's not at work. Just because you can't see everything that's happening doesn't mean that God is not at work. Want what is best and aim for that. Aim for that. So he continues on in that, in that idea. Be patient in tribulation. Anybody have any of that in your relationships right now where you're trying to love well? And then be constant in prayer. And I just wonder if our relationships, as, excuse me, the love that we express in relationships, the genuine love that we express, wouldn't be better off if we had less opinions and more prayer. Be constant in prayer. Patient when trials come, we pray like crazy. <laughs> and then lastly, um, in uh, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality. Genuine love is expressive in this sense. Generosity um, is a part of that love. Love is always giving. It's generous. It's given these two very practical things, need meeting and hospitality. Generosity as need meeting and as hospitality. That's what it talks about there. And so, um, you know, in, your, in the relationships you're trying to love well, what would generosity look like? Are, your, um, are, are the things that God has entrusted you with, your treasure and your time aligned such that you can meet needs or be hospitable in that moment? Do you have time in your day to stop and listen to someone? Do, do you have the, the space in your world to, to grab a cup of coffee with somebody? That, like, are there, is there generosity that is there? Are your resources, your time, your treasure aligned such that you can help others? Uh, now, before we run on, again, a little pastoral time out, time out here um, and, and say, like, th- this is important. I mean, this is a significant chunk of relational truth right here. Important stuff. In our culture, in our day, and in our age, one of the dangers is that we think this kind of stuff can just kind of uh, go like this. Uh, Here's why. Because we think that affinity groups and friendships are the same thing. But I want you to remember this. 
Affinity groups are not friendships. They're not. Um, Social media has uh, 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 made us very... um, It has exposed us to a lot of people who think like us, look like us, vote like us, believe like us, whatever like us, right? That's an affinity group. But the thing about affinity groups are um, they, they think and act and believe and vote and all the other things like me, but they are the ones who set the terms for the relationship. There's no mutuality. Folks, when there's no mutuality, that's not a friendship. It's not. So affinity groups are not, are not friendships. When, when I have questions about that affinity group, what do they do? They throw their hands up like, wow, wait, yeah. They balk. If I have questions, uh, or excuse me, if I have disagreements about this, they're like, well, maybe you're just not one of us. Maybe you, uh, maybe we just don't need to talk anymore. Maybe I don't need to be seen with you. And if I have genuine fundamental differences with them, man, what do they do? They, they, they blow up. Like it's, it's full on cancel culture, right? It, it is one of those things. Uh, and somebody, a friend of mine in, um, a pastor in the Dallas area said it this way. He said, used to, you know, you can see things different and that kind of thing. But today in these affinity groups, if I don't have the same level of outrage directed at the same people, then somehow I am a complicit coward in whatever you think is important. That's no way to relate to people. That is not genuine love that is expressed. Here's why that's important, particularly for all you, well, before I get there, friends value people, value you and the relationship there. They shoulder burdens with you. They seek their good. And when you do something stupid, you know what they do? They shake their head at you and go, come on, man. And then they pick you up and help you. This is what friends do. No affinity group is going to do that for you. So. For every male in here, I don't, how you females do this, it is a mystery. But for every male in here, I just want to say to you, a week and a half ago, a survey came out um, about our, our, the state of male-to-male friendships and relationships. Out of, out of the people in the room, men, only 10%, only 10% have close friends. The church family... It is hard to be family if we don't have close friends. This is why, a little advertisement here for us as a church family, it is so critical to be connected to a group. This expression of church where we're in a big room and we sing and we celebrate and we do all the things that we do together, it is is an important part of our church family life. There is also another critical part, and that is being in a circle, being in a Sunday school class, being in a small group, being in a place where you connect with one another. This is why it's so important that people start filtering back um, into our church family post-pandemic and all that stuff. Like, we want you back because we want you connected eyeball to eyeball with people. We don't want people disconnected or just thinking that we are some version of a religious affinity group. We want friends. People who become family to us. And if you're not already connected in a Bible study, a small group, a Sunday school class, we we absolutely want to help you. For men in here, in particular, only 10% have close friends. And so what do we replace? Um, what What do we do? We need distractions. And it shows up. Sports, video games, um... Porn, work, any number of other things that we could tick off. Just... We need friends. 
And we, we find that here among our church family. And if we don't, loneliness, uh, there was a study that came out of the UK not too long ago. Uh, loneliness, particularly among uh, men in the 35 to 50 range, is, has the same health effect as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Cardiovascular problems, um, uh, like mental acuity issues, like loneliness has that kind of effect. So, we... We want to be people who have friends. And I just say, I'm just riding in the car the other day with somebody, chit-chatting about this, and you know, some fairly heavy topic came up, and we're talking through it, and this was said, and that was said, and I don't know if I can get on board with that. Well, I don't know if I can see it your way either. And you know what we did when we were done? Got out of the car, said, see you soon, let's go eat a taco. And off we went, because we're friends. Like, we can do this, people. Further, this is what it means to love well. God wants us to do this. It has, it has an expression. Last thing. Um, because Paul's not naive. The Bible, the Bible lives in the real world. So, so here, genuine love has a reality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. So let, let's just start here. Genuine love lives in reality. And what kind of reality is it talking about here? It, it is clear-headed, and, and it knows that the world is a messed up place. It knows that the world is broken. It is not naive. And it starts with doing good even to those who don't. So verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse them. Look it down at verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. It does good even for those who don't. There's not an enabling of evil. We're not, you know, um, helping people go down the wrong path or anything like that. That's not what it says. What we're asking is, what would it look like for the God's best? What would it look like for God's best to come in this relationship? That's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm shooting for. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm willing to work for. And when he says in verse 14, bless those, like what would it look like in those? Can you picture in your mind one of those relationships right now that it's a little more difficult? Can you picture that? What would it look like to bless them? For some, it would look like forgiveness. For some, it may look like kindness. Uh, for some, uh, it would look like when they start ramping up the intensity, that your voice actually goes the other way. Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath. Um, or it could look like clarity. Or um, being patient with them. Or sticking with them, even though you disagree. And like serious flaws in their lives, and you step into their world, and you're sticking with them. It could look like painting a positive vision of life. It could look like listening to them. It could look like advancing an argument when they're not making sense. Like it could look like any of those things. What does it look like to do good for those, even for those who don't? Bless them. Secondly, verse 15. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We enter into both their joy and their pain. We enter into both joy and pain. Do you have people in your life who are rejoicing right now? You can step into that world and go, that is amazing. That's awesome. Fantastic. I'm so glad. Without jealousy, 
without trying to like, you know, here they are flying up here, and you're like, hey man, you're, just knock them down a notch or two. No, no, just rejoice that they're there. It enters into both joy and pain. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If you're looking for what that would look like, I would say go, go um, check out those first few chapters of Job, the book of Job in the Bible. Um, Job has a terrible, terrible time. He's uh, significant family loss, significant financial loss, and then he loses his own health. And even his spouse is like, look, man, just curse God and die. And he's like, oh, this is great. What a home life I have. And then, then his friends show up. And they roll in, and they're awesome for seven days. They sit with him for seven days, just sit there. And then one of them opens his mouth, and the wheels fall off after that. Maybe we just show up for ten days, or two weeks. Or maybe we just show up for longer, and we just keep our mouths shut. What if we were people who rejoiced in, we entered into their rejoicing without jealousy, and we entered into their pain, and we just said, hey, look, and your life stinks right now. I'm not going to uh, scripture verse you. I'm not going to put my arm around you and just say a quick prayer. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to, hey, you know, God causes all things to work together for good. I'm not going to do that. You should hit me if I do. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring that to bear. I'm just going to sit here with you. I can see that you're hurting. I'm just going to sit here. I'll keep my mouth closed till you're ready to talk. Enters into both joy and pain. Uh, thirdly, uh, uh, harmony here. He says in verse 16, uh, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. And then he says, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Um, it, if I'm going to live in harmony, if, if I'm too good for someone, then I, I won't live in harmony with them. I will just heap on, continually heap on expectations in the relationship, and they won't meet them. And, and that harmony may never happen. Paul's a realist. Look down in verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, excuse me, if it's possible. There may be relationships where it's not possible. Think, Paul knows that there are times when the relationship is so broken, things are just so fractured, the splinters, the, the shards, if you will, have been so scattered. We can't put Humpty Dumpty together again. And in that moment, what are you responsible for? For fixing everything? We're not responsible for that. We're responsible for striving to be at peace, for being harmonious. Like, I'm going to um, accept the brokenness that's here um, it's not what I want. It's not what I hope for. It's not what I pray for. But I'm going to accept um, the brokenness uh, that is here, and just know that I'm going. As far as it depends on me, I'm going to do my best. But man, if we, if this thing's gone, it's it's gone. And so I will live in the wisdom of that, so I don't create further brokenness by living stupidly. Get into some bad dynamics that way. Last thing. My guess is, is that when you think about genuine love has a standard, uh, lives in the expressions that we talked about, lives in the reality of this world, my, my guess is that you, don't, you didn't just wake up one day and go, you know what, that's the kind of love I want to have for people. The, the love that we naturally have for people is actually very hypocritical. It'll say one thing and do another. It'll, it'll only be loving when I get something in return. I mean, that's not love. 
So how then do we have genuine love? If you would back up to the very top of the chapter, first two verses of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by your practice, by you working this out, you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Nobody wakes up to this kind of genuine love and just decides to go do it. They have to be genuinely loved first. I've got great news, though. Jesus has done this. His love for you has been without hypocrisy. It has been genuine, and it, it itself has a standard, a standard that you and I couldn't meet, but he was willing to. us. And it has an expression when he died on the cross for us, and he lives in the reality to say he knows that you need him, whether or not you know that you need him. And so he's offering himself to you today. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you into a relationship with him. How does one begin a relationship with him? You do exactly what he said. You understand that God is offering mercy to you and you surrender your life to him. He will forgive you and give you new life. And if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, here's the one thing that I want to speak over you as we get ready to pray and respond and then be released. God genuinely loves you. If, you're, if you want to have genuine love for those people in your life, you need to hear God speak over you. I really love you. Genuinely, truly, and without hypocrisy. I love you. That's what God would say to you. When we sang it a while ago, he's a good father. And I am loved by him. It really is who you are. You are genuinely loved. And so may his genuine love for you fuel your genuine love for others. Let me pray and um, we'll respond. If you want to take just a second and um, wrap your mind around anything that God may have said and maybe you or just processing something, or maybe you're like, man, what specifically had my name on it? Where was the, the package gift wrapped just for me? You take a moment and do that. And Holy Spirit, by the, um, by the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I pray that you would um, bring some life here in these moments. To brothers and sisters, to people who um, need you to be at work in their lives, to, to um, give and express, um, to speak even genuine love for them. Would you, would you let that happen in somebody's life today? And may that fuel us to do the things that you have called us to do. In particular, to love well. Shape us, Lord. Some of us have challenges out in front of us. Shape us. Ready us for them. Some of us have other things ahead. Just shape us, Lord, and make us ready. This is what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.